Hello, and welcome to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media, and we're back this week with Robin Ritchie, who is a PhD student at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, and she's part of the team that won the NFL's Big Data Bowl this year. This was the fourth annual Big Data Bowl put on by Mike Lopez and the league's analytics staff. And the topic this year was special teams. So each competing team was given a set of tracking data, asked to come up with analysis and strategies based on that data. And Robin and her teammates, Brendan Kumagai, Riker Moreau, Elijah Kavan, they bested over 200 contestants with their entry entitled Punch Returns, Using the Math to Find the Path. We'll get into a lot more details about that with Robin, including what data she and her team used, how they approached the contest, their methods along the way, challenges they ran into, and communicating their ideas effectively. We'll also talk about her path to getting a master's and now a PhD in statistics, why Simon Fraser has produced so many good sports analysts, her advice for people looking to get into the field, and her work in curling analytics. Yes, curling analytics. Then, True Media's Sergio De La Espriella will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with Big Data Bowl winner Robin Ritchie. joined now on Expected Value by Robin Ritchie, PhD student at Simon Fraser University and part of the team that won this year's Big Data Bowl. Robin, welcome to the show. Let's start with how you got started, at least as far as the Big Data Bowl is concerned. This has been going on a few years, but how did you get involved, become aware of the contest and decide to enter this year? Yeah, so our team really formed as a group of students. So Brendan Kumagai sent out an email to all of the graduate students at Simon Fraser University, just trying to see who had interest. And there's a lot of sports-minded people in that university. And so I was one of the people who showed interest and we were able to form a team. And it's just really exciting to be able to do something like that. All right. So the theme for this year's Big Data Bowl was to devise innovative approaches to analyzing special teams in the NFL. Basically, you know, tell some story, pull some analysis for special teams. Before we get into how you approach the topic, let's start with what you had to work with. What sort of data were you given for this project? So everyone was given access to three years of next-gen stats, player tracking data, play information, game information, player information, and then PFF scouting data for every special team's play from 2018, 2019, and 2020. And how granular is that data? I know it's the chips and the shoulder pads sort of thing as far as player location, but how? what's the level of detail that you get out of that? Yeah, so you'll have, especially like in the tracking data, you have like speeds, directions of all of the players. I think they have acceleration on there also. So it's like super detailed. All the players are there. It's really great data, like from the stats point of view. It's amazing to see like the NFL do something like this and give access to such great data to anyone who wants it. All right. So you have your assignment. You know what the data is. Where do you start? How do you go about thinking about this question and attacking the problem? Yeah. So when you enter like a competition like this, you really want to think about what does the NFL want? What do the judges want to see? So right, they want us to dive deep into special teams, make new metrics, quantify strategies, rank players, anything that can kind of impress the judges in the NFL. So the goal is to really focus. What we did was focus on punt returns and we wanted to create metrics that can understand 
what contributes to pressure in a punt return and how well the returners are performing under those types of situations. So we wanted to see if we could determine like the optimal path of a punt returner, taking in all of their surroundings and see if they're making the right decisions at the right times. All right. So you figure out that's you know what you want to do. How do you go about doing that uh, as a team? So kind of a two-part question. How do you kind of divvy up tasks and really what are you trying to do as you go through the process? So for us, we're a team of four. So we kind of split it into two different groups, but it all starts and it all builds. So we started really on the like convex hull. So that's just a metric to kind of mesh together one team and another team and see how much space they take up on the field. Then you can overlap those and see who has more control over the field, who has the control around the punt returner. And then it just kind of snowballed because I said, well, why can't we find the way to get through this convex hull? And then it just grows and grows and grows into a bigger project. So Brendan and I really focused on the optimal path, whereas uh, Riker and Eli kind of took the modeling aspect. They looked at blocker leverages. They looked at the convex hulls to just see kind of quantify as much as you, the data as you can into numbers that you can throw into a model and get get some rankings out of it. And what are some of those numbers? I know you mentioned them in your presentation. They seem pretty intuitive, like what the things are, the, the factors that are going in to your models. What are those? What are you working with? Once we have our optimal path of where the punt return is going to go, we take the path that they actually took and we calculate like basically the difference between the two lines. And that kind of gives you an idea of how good of a decision maker that punt returner is at that instance. So we made that into a number and that we could put into our model to give a sense of the mindset of the punt returner. Other things is like blocker leverages. How good is each blocker doing in the model? Are they stopping the tackler from getting to the punt returner? The size of the convex hull of the kick team as well as the return team and a whole bunch of other stuff all would just go into the model and then you can really put in as much as you want because it was a random forest-based model and it'll kind of skim out what's the most important there. Is it a continuous decision point that you're factoring in or are there certain, you do you stop it every so many frames or so often or how many decision points are going into? So at each frame, we would try to predict the end yard of the play. So every frame it's updated and we would actually associate a probability instead of an actual just one point, this is where they're going to get, we would associate a probability to it. So given this situation, they're most likely to expect it to get 10 yards but there's maybe like a 50% chance they're getting 10 yards and there's like a 10% chance they're getting two yards and a 10% chance. So it would go all the way throughout and you would get actually a distribution over the whole field of how likely they are to get to any point. So it's an average with the probabilities that are all, I'll go into that average together. I yeah. And then you average a bunch of stuff for the play and then it gives you kind of one number. One thing that you mentioned the blocking part, and we're going to talk about kind of extensions of this possible. So in theory, if you had you know more time, more data, would blocking abilities, would that be something that you'd be interested in exploring, you could explore based on what you've done so far? Yes, there is a really great paper from a big datable presentation a couple years on blocking leverages, and they did all the math behind everything. If we really wanted to like elevate our work to the next level, one thing I would like to focus on is the optimal 
path and bringing in a probability of like a fumble if you go in that direction or probability of a tackle if you go in that direction and you could kind of adjust it so that say you're really early on in the game and an extra couple yards isn't worth the risk of getting injured can we kind of take that mindset into account in our risk equation and propose a safer route Whereas if you're at the very end of the game, you need a touchdown, you're going to take that risky route in order to get the outcome. So risk versus reward, I'd like to work more with that and incorporate as much as I can. What kind of challenges did you run into? There's always things that go haywire, you try something and it spits out weird results. What, What are the biggest challenges that you ran into during the project? Yeah, so there's definitely always like the computational challenges because there's so much data that they give you. And we're just students with our nice little computers trying to figure all this out. It doesn't work as great. We don't have the great computers that these big companies would have. So that's always a challenge. And then just as students, it's a challenge to find balance because you're doing something that you want to do so great at and you have so many amazing ideas. But time is always of the essence and managing it with coursework and balance between regular life and everything. That's always a challenge everyone needs to keep in mind. The computational angle is interesting to me because I hadn't really thought about that for something like this. Do you, I don't even know what, do you have to go buy more computational power? Do you, you know, set your computer to run something and then you go to bed and it has to run overnight? How do you kind of work around the, like I said, the basics of I'm a college student, and I have a laptop. <laughs> yeah, so we, we did the overnight method. So we would run our, like the optimal path wasn't too bad if you're just looking at one play. But once you get into throwing all the data for every single play, calculating everything into a model and then it needs to do all its work that like at the start would take three nights and i think we improved it to get down to to one one overnight to get the whole model to to punch out what we wanted it was a little more manageable but if something goes wrong right you have to fix it and then you're starting the next night again trying to run it make hoping fingers crossed that it'll go through so communication is always important. We talk about this almost every podcast. As you had all this data coming together, how do you approach that communication part of it as you're getting set to present this to the judges? Yeah, so one thing that myself and my team really wanted was to have great visuals. So that's something we really focused on is if you've looked through like our Kaggle document, a main thing that I really like about it is that there's really like three ways to absorb the data. So we went through the nitty gritty, all the math, wrote it all out, but then we have pictures to go with every piece of math so you can really understand the visual with it. And then we have a quick one, two sentence with each picture to explain it in a very like quick layman's term, what you wanna get out of it. So definitely having good visuals along with different ways to absorb the data is a great way to communicate something like this as well as if you wanted to present this to coaches or to players, it's great to have something that you can see alongside the video of the actual play. You can put them side by side and see, oh, that's where the punt returner was told by our optimal path would have been good. Oh yeah, there were my blockers were actually blocking that area and I could have gone that way instead of I went this way. So it's definitely meant to be like a review after the play type of visualization tool. Yes, that kind of answers the question I was thinking of next is how would you communicate this, relay this information to coaches or somebody who would ideally, you know, put this into practice a little bit. It sounds like 
similar sort of method, show the video and kind of talk through the process a little bit? Yeah. So if you looked at our like five minute presentation for the final competition, um, we were able to stop and play the video right beside our optimal path for one of McCole Hardman's punt returns. We highlighted these are where the high blocker leveraged areas are. And this is where optimal path is saying that you should follow your blocks. You should go where we're telling you. Obviously, we can't do that in the moment, but it shows that McCall Hartman could kind of look around a little bit better maybe at certain moments, take that extra like millisecond to really absorb what's going on as opposed to just running to the sidelines. So that's how we would kind of bring it to a team or a player and hopefully help them improve using our tools. And I have to say, when I saw your example, before you even started running, I started laughing. I live in Kansas, uh, surrounded by Chiefs fans and have watched many games where you know, people are literally yelling, run straight ahead on <laughs> the punt return instead of doing all the dancing. So yeah. that for me personally, that resonated really well. Yeah, he's definitely uh, a great punt returner and like we don't want to be too harsh on him, but you know, you gotta be able to see what you can when you can. Like he's definitely valuable in his other position and that's probably what's going on in his head, but we don't know that kind of stuff, right? So we just take in as much as we can. There'd definitely be times we'd yell, run straight ahead, and then he'd do what he does and run around and, you know, returns at 50 yards or gets for a touchdown. Yeah, definitely like the the tree that we put out of his optimal path versus everyone else. You can see it. He's sidelines like 90% of the time, whereas the other star punt returners are really going straight down the field following their blocks. Yeah, and I'll add, we'll have links to your Kaggle notebook and to your presentation in our show notes, so check that out. What kind of consistency did you find, or maybe lack thereof, for you know, team returners or individual returners? Because you had multiple seasons of data. So did you look at consistency among individuals or teams in their return methods? A little bit. So what we did when we made plots for different punt returners to try to compare them, we only looked at punt returners that had 10 or more successful punt returns. A player like Michael Hardman, he was only, only there for two seasons of the data that we had. So it's hard to compare and see them grow but you can definitely see patterns like McCall Hardman going to the sidelines versus like Gunnarolshevsky who goes very straight yes yeah, so it's hard to compare them to themselves in a time lapse but you can definitely look at one player against another player and all their punt returns yeah it's just not a lot of data because you're only going to get a couple really good punt returns a season maybe by a player if you're lucky so watching that over time it's it's hard to compare because it's so different and and based on every situation. We touched on this a little bit, but if you had more time, more data, more computational power, what would be an extension or a next step that you would want to do with what you've done so far? Definitely improving the risk function in our optimal path would be like my main target, as well as just building a better model. So everyone, all models are bad, right? Some are useful as the the quote. I can't remember who it was by, but you know, making it as good as we can to be able to say like given the situation this is where you should be getting and if you're performing below that someone needs to have a conversation with you about how to improve that maybe use our optimal path and be able to like really make this a useful tool for a team to bring their punt returners as well as other players up to to speed the way that our algorithm works the a star algorithm is really it just needs one player and a target. So we could even change it to like gunners versus vices, who's getting to their target to the punt returner or to who they're supposed to block and possibly 
extending this to other positions and saying, are they getting to where they're supposed to get to in the best way possible, given their surroundings? So let's shift gears a little bit and talk how you got to where you are and kind of the sports analytics field in general a little bit. How did you get into sports analytics? What was your path to where you are now? So for me, as soon as I found out that you could really make a difference in a game using statistics, I was hooked. So what I first did was a summer research with Alex LeBlanc at the University of Manitoba, where we looked at into goal times in the English Premier League. And I just loved that. So it seemed it set me on a path towards sports analytics. So if any student is really like curious about what they could do, definitely something like a summer research position is amazing to learn if you like that kind of stuff or getting an internship is really helpful to see if you like the sports analytics realm and if you could see a future in it. Yeah, what else do you tell you know students who are interested or anyone who's interested? What do you tend to point them toward, whether it's skill-wise or what they're studying or things along those lines? Yeah, so I would definitely recommend looking at data online, getting started with something like Python or R, and just ask yourself, like, how could you create a metric with this data? How could you evaluate players? And just play around and have fun. So there's so much data online that you can get for free um, and just to get started. And then once you kind of have a handle on things, Competitions like the Big Data Bowl for football or the Big Data Cup for hockey are great places just to test your skill and have fun and maybe, you know, win something great. You mentioned studying soccer and goal times and things like that. What did you learn? What were you looking at specifically uh, when you were focusing more on soccer? Yeah, so what we did was we looked basically to make a smooth histogram of like when are teams scoring most during the game. So we could look at their home games versus away games and we could kind of compare the density distributions of the two scenarios and see if they're performing differently under different situations. A lot of models that are out there for soccer assume that goal scoring happens at a constant rate throughout the game. And that's just not true. Like as a fan of the game, you know, that's not true. And then it was nice. Like if a player scored enough goals, I could only use their information and look at like, when does Lionel Messi score most of his goals during the game? Like he's a constant threat throughout the game, but in actuality, a lot of his goals happen at the very end of the game. So it's interesting to see that you could present it to a team and say, you know, he kind of ramps up at the end of the game. You need to put more players on him at that time. No, it makes sense. I mean, it matches, you know, kind of the eye test when you say this guy's got a knack for coming up big late or, or things along those lines. While we're talking about other sports, I know curling analytics are a big thing for you. I'm a big Winter Olympics curling fan. So, you know, I, like a lot of Americans, I'll watch every four years, occasionally find it on TV between Olympics. I feel like we could have done a whole podcast on this, which would have been fun. What work have you done with curling analytics? Like what what is the curling analytics community like or the world like, I guess? Yeah, so it's definitely starting off. So I only started my PhD in September and that's kind of where I'm targeting is the curling realm. But you can think of it like a game like chess, right? So what I want to do is I want to look at your first move, your first two moves, where are you going? And can you predict what the end result is going to be based on those. So the data available right now for curling isn't the greatest. Um, It's actually all like human recorded with like someone in the stands with an iPad saying where everything happened. I would like to develop something that's automatic because if you watch curling, it's a white background with rocks on it. It should be fairly easy to get data from the video. So I'm kind of dabbling in that a little bit and then hoping that I can 
help the whole curling community be elevated with actually good, accurate tracking data from the stones, I think that would be a great place. And the nice thing about curling also is that anyone who loves curling loves to help anyone else who loves curling. Something like for hockey or football, right? It's hard to find trade secrets and everyone's going to like keep everything secret because they want the edge. In curling, anyone will help you. Like I've talked to teams. I've talked to like one of the analysts for like USA curling. Because so you just message them, they're like, yeah, I'd love to talk to you, which is amazing. It blows my mind how, how much everyone is willing to help each other in the sport, and I think that's great. Well, you know, you mentioned USA Curling Analysts. Do the top teams, do they have somebody, for lack of a better term, doing curling analytics and trying to make the teams better using that sort of data and information? Some teams. So again, it's still like the start of sports analytics in a lot of the areas. Some teams are really for it. Some teams are not for it. So there are like people that teams hire to kind of advise them of how certain teams will play certain strategies at certain moments of the games and they'll tell you how to counteract it. So that's kind of where it is right now, but it's kind of on the onus of the team to really find someone to help guide them to the win. And I guess the execution, you know, it's not like chess where you make the move, you make the move, you know, you can try this shot and it may or may not work. And, and yeah. So curling has like so many levels of complexity, like you, there's the decision aspect of how can or what should be the good move. And then the human error of, can I make that move? And then you're doing it on ice, which is like slippery and you got to move everything around and it gets really complex and there's physics and it gets, it gets wild very quickly. Nice. I'm excited to see where that goes. I have to ask you about Simon Fraser University. The school's won two straight big data bowls, has a strong reputation in the sports analytics field, uh, located in Vancouver. You know, as an American, not super familiar with the school outside of you know the analytics community. But what's going on? What's in the water up there? Why is Simon Fraser so good at these things? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, it could be Tim Schwartz. He's really great. He's a professor at Simon Fraser University, and he is very focused on sports analytics. He's done a lot in cricket and soccer and really anything that his students are interested in, he's ready to like dive deep into it. So I think he's just kind of the magnet that started attracting all these great sports analytics students to the school. And then the reputation just blew up after that. And if you want to do sports analytics in Canada, it's kind of like the known factor. You go to Simon Fraser University. And you're co-chairing the Canadian Statistics Student Conference coming up. Tell us about that. How could someone get involved if they wanted to, to do that? Yeah, so the Canadian Statistics Students Conference is a statistical-focused virtual conference that's run for students by students. It's Saturday, May 28th, and it's free for anyone who wants to attend. Um, so we're going to have student talks. We're going to have a Create Your Own R workshop or create your own R package workshop, a skills session about how to communicate in science, whether you're talking to someone who's really familiar with science or not familiar with science at all. Also a career panel session and so much more. And there's going to be lots of games and trivia throughout the day to keep it fun and engaging. And the registration deadline is May 15th. So if you can, just Google Canadian Statistics Students Conference 2022 and you'll find us. Great. We'll put a link in our show notes too. All right. We're going to wrap things up with our playing favorite segments, some relatively quick hitters, uh, just finding out your favorites, a little more about you. So what is your favorite number and why? 
So my favorite number, I'll say when it comes to the Big Datable, is one. So we're actually the first year that a Big Datable has been won by the college team. And I'm also the first ever female grand finalist. So I think that's really exciting. So we'll, we'll go with that for now. I like it. Uh, who's your favorite athlete, either when you're a kid or now or, or both? I think right now, I would say Brad Gushu, who's a Canadian curler, and he's just amazing to watch. If you ever watch curling, he's so skilled, he's so smart when it comes to the strategy side of the game, and he's just a very like classy player. He's kind to his team, he's kind to his opponents, always has a smile on his face no matter what the circumstances are, and he's just a great role model for the next generation of curlers. Nice. First curling answer. I love it. What is your favorite distinctly Canadian food? So I think I'll actually go more specifically and I'll say like my favorite Manitoban food is chicken fingers with honey dill sauce. So if you've never heard of honey dill sauce, it's just this amazing sauce that's for some reason only in Manitoba, slowly getting outside of to the other provinces, but it's amazing. It's great with chicken fingers. Highly recommend you could try it. Look up a recipe. It's great. This is, this is, I mean, is it what it sounds like? It's honey and some sort of dill pickle? Yeah, it's it's just honey, mayo, and then like dill weed. Next time in Manitoba, definitely trying it. Favorite thing that's happened to you since winning the Big Data Bowl in the last few weeks? I, I'd probably actually go back and say that my favorite thing happened after we were named finalists. So at the time we submitted our submission, I had no idea what we had on our hands. And it was incredible just to see people come out from anywhere and just like express how much they liked our project and how like great it was communicated and the store, how well we told the story of our optimal path. So we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Right. And then to see all this come together, we're just lucky that we had, um, that we were able to get so close throughout this experience and our minds were blown when we won the whole thing. It's really like, it's really an honor, and we look forward to what it'll bring in the future. Nice. Well, Cody Davis of the Patriots is tenure NFL vet, master's in data science. He said you have a creative idea and impressive math, so that's that's a pretty good endorsement there. Uh, finally, favorite moment from your time uh, growing up? You volunteered at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the CFL a lot. What was your favorite moment or memory from doing that? I really loved um, getting to see and talk to the players. Everyone was always really friendly to volunteers and to everyone else and really willing to chat. I actually sent um, Milt Stiegel, who's a wide who was a wide receiver for the Winnipeg Bombers, and now uh, a panelist on TSN. I sent him our project from the Big Data Bowl, and he actually answered. He like he replied. He gave me some like tips and advice, and I thought that was like amazing. He's a legend in Winnipeg now, and probably a lot of other places. So I thought that was great that someone in my eyes who's like a star would take the time to really talk to just someone who's a student and was a volunteer for so many years watching him play. Nice. That's great. Well, that'll wrap things up for this conversation. Robin Ritchie, PhD student at Simon Fraser, part of the team that won this year's Big Data Bowl. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thank you so much for having me. In the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Robin Ritchie for joining us on the show. You can follow her on Twitter at RR underscore sports stats and check our show notes for links to her team's Big Data Bowl presentation, Kaggle Notebook, Canadian Statistics Student Conference, and much more. I'm joined now by Sergio de la Esprilla, who produces this show among his other duties here at True Media. Sergio, hello again. What did you take away from the conversation with Robin? 
Hey, Paul. Um, I'm hoping to find somewhere between Kansas City and South Florida where we can pinpoint the True Media <laughs> Studios. That'd yeah, be a fun thing to do. <laughs> Nashville sounds good, right? Nashville sounds great to me. All right. I love the conversation. I loved what, what uh, Robin had to say. And I was really intrigued with the section where she talked about optimum punt versus an actual punt. Yeah. It reminds me sort of, it reminds me in twofold. And I'm going to show my age here. But the first thing I thought of was those like next gen stack commercials that you watch during an NFL broadcast where they're like, now we can pinpoint where, you know, the coffin corner punts that you can put like directionally exactly where you want them. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I thought of was in Madden 2005, specifically, <laughs> there was a mini game feature where you could practice coffin punts and you can practice pinpointing them exactly on the corner by the pylon and stuff. And my brain instantly went there and instantly went to the next gen stats commercials because it's something that you don't think of often, but is a vital part of football because flipping the field is something that coaches are always preaching and always talking about. And it's very cool to see when you think of like football data, football analytics, you think of passing yards and you think of top speed for players like Tyree Kill or something like that. You don't really think about how it can be used in the special teams function because ideally you think, oh, they just kick. But it's very interesting to see how a team can use that in order to gain a competitive advantage in arguably the most underrated aspect of a football game. Yeah, it seems like it's wide open for analysis for teams to gain advantages. In addition to what you're saying about possible applications, kind of along the same lines, part of the reason I think they won is that this can fit, the way they did this could fit so smoothly into a team's just general special teams workflow. You know, they mm-hmm. used video really well to show, you know, okay, here's what you did. Here were some possibilities. You know, and again, you're not saying that this is definitively what you should have done because like Robin said, there are situational things to factor in. There's you know, just like any analytics, it works best when it's you know getting meshed with coaching and, and player observations and things like that. It, it can fit in just, just really easily. Like, you know, you can, say, hey, you just need to go forward a little bit more, not take out of that, mm-hmm. not take that away from repertoire completely, but be aware of what's going on. So I, I think that's a big reason that they won is that you, know, you could almost just take it as is, show it to coaches and you know, assuming you have someone who has some interest in data, almost mm-hmm. plug it into a workflow right now. There's obviously more that you can do. And she touched on a lot of those things, which would be really interesting extensions. Uh, but it was it was straightforward, it was applicable. And that's a big reason they won. And I like the section too, where she mentioned how one of the big selling points was, listen, what is the right quote unquote path to take a punt return, like her Nicole Hardman example, versus like what actually happens. I think data is used at its best and data is most valuable when it's used as a tool and not a crutch because not every situation is the exact same. You're using the numbers as a way to say, okay, what is the risk versus reward aspect of it? Like her example of it's early in a game, you may not want to do the whole blocking scheme that is given by the special team's data versus if you're down eight, right? Right. And you need to get the ball back with 35 seconds left, then you take the risk situation. So I liked hearing that. I'm actually very curious to see how this compares with collegiate data. Last week, we're recording this on May 6th. Last week was the NFL draft, and as a as someone who is a card-carrying member of That Boy Nice Club, um, <laughs> Matt Ariza, Matt Ariza, the punter yeah. out of San Diego State, he was punting 80, 85-yard punts all season last year. So I'm thinking number one guy off the board. He was the third punter drafted. So I'm curious to see what teams saw where someone who's not a special teams specialist, right? I just see a guy punt ball very far. I say that good right. punt. He's good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to see where, you know, if they use tools like that, what, you know, Robin demonstrated and her team demonstrated in the big data bowl, 
to kind of evaluate a punter further rather than just the layman's, yeah, he kicks it very far and therefore he's a good punter. Yeah, lots of good possibilities that I think come out of this moving forward that'll be I fun agree. to keep an eye on. My other takeaway is just that Canadians are really nice people. and Ex- Excessively I, I, nice. There were so many. I mean, it's it's absolutely a cliche, but uh-huh. how many things did she say? You know, it was like working together and being open to communicating and try the great food in Manitoba and all these the, things. The I fact that there's a... Funny. The fact that there's a curling data fraternity, I think, is Beautiful. speaks speaks to itself. I, I think it. that's that's what it is. Well, it's a wonderful thing. I'm and excited. now I have to try honey dill chicken. I have I to. I have to go to Manitoba. Company outing to Manitoba is what I'm thinking. That that's what I'm going to suggest to Rafe for our company uh, outing yeah. this coming summer. Be, we should go to Manitoba. Tough sell, I think, but we'll see what we can do. All right. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks again to Robin Ritchie for joining us on the show. Check out the Expected Value archives for lots of previous football episodes. We've had former GM Mike Tannenbaum earlier this year. We had Mike Lopez, the NFL's Director of Football Analytics. He organizes the Big Data Bowl. So those and several other football podcasts in the archives. While you're there, please rate and review the show. And we always appreciate people spreading the word through social media or any other way. You can follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports, T-R-U Media Sports. We'll be back in a couple weeks with a guest to preview the Champions League final and talk soccer analytics. For now, on behalf of Sergio de la Espria and all of us here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. Mm-hmm.